uh, turn to the, the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy God, perfect in a light which no man can approach, incomprehensible, not understandable or be able to, to be fathomed by human minds, dear Father, and yet who desires to be approached in faith. We pray to thee this morning hour. We lift ourselves, dear Father. We lift our gaze, as it were, to the heavens, acknowledging that we're unworthy as we do this, that we're just dust of the earth. We're mortal beings. We, we quickly fade and we are addressing this morning our uh, a holy and a perfect God. But dear Father, what gives us courage and what gives us confidence is the man Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, the one who is part of the Godhead and who has bridged the gap. And now we look to, dear Father, with confidence, with, with encouragement, to be fed this morning from that bread of life, to be lighted from that light of the world, to be shepherded by that good shepherd, the, the good shepherd of the sheep. Dear Father, we thank thee for Jesus Christ this morning hour. That is our reason for being, dear, dear Father, that gives us hope and courage, that is the light, the sun that has shone on us this morning. And we pray this morning as we would open thy word, Jesus Christ would be shine out from it, would reflect on all the darkened souls that are here, those that don't know thee, those that are without the sun. We thank you for this opportunity this, this morning, and we ask for the presence of thy spirit. We pray this in the name of thy son, Jesus. Amen. For this morning's meditation, I'd like to turn to the Old Testament, to uh, Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, starting with the first verse. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked. And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover to Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. I've read to the end of uh, verse 15, chapter 3. May the Lord bless the reading of this word. Let's kneel. Truly, it's nice to be home again. As the saying goes, it's nice to go and it's nice to come home. Um, It's good to be worshiping with you again. While we were gone, um, one of the events that happened um, at my father-in-law's property was a retreat. They had a retreat during the the carnival time, which is a a, a time of a lot of partying and riotous living and and the, the uh, the purpose of this retreat is to give people a chance to get away from that, to come out into the country a little bit and, and to uh, listen to God's word, and do some fun activities, um, things like that, and spend a couple nights together. And the theme of the, the retreat this year was um, the seven I am's of Jesus Christ. They're in the Gospel of John, there's seven particular sayings, seven times that Jesus says something I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the truth, the way, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm missing a few. Um, it was in Portuguese, so I'm not sure that I, how much I gathered, but it's amazing when you have a, a Bible in front of you and you know the passage that's being, being uh, taught on. You can pick out a few words and you can actually follow, I've, that was my experience in, in Argentina too, the Spanish, you can actually follow the, the gist of the teaching. Um, you miss a lot of it, but uh, knowing a few words here and there. So I was able to gather a few things from that retreat, even though I don't speak any Portuguese. And um, 
that was part of the, the, the thinking this, uh, the Lord laid on my heart this morning, this passage, which was served as, as the background for that, that weekend. Where Jesus very um, deliberately and very specifically, when he makes those statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, is echoing the language, is echoing the name that God told Moses at this, this passage that we just read about here. Very deliberately, Jesus is doing that. And there are some reasons I think we can gather from just looking at this passage why that is. With the Lord's help, I'd like to do that. The context here, I'm sure we hopefully all know the story. We've learned it probably in Sunday school that Moses he had his, he's beginning um, his early days in a basket, as it were. Actually, his name is derived from that, uh, um, that event where he was drawn out of the water. He was found by that Egyptian princess, and his life was spared, as it were, uh, for a particular reason and purpose. And, and, and here we do see God's sovereign hand, but also human responsibility and human uh, free will uh, working together, the topic of the of the conference that's coming up. And this, at this point of the story here, is a real, um, a low point. And by saying the, the word low point, uh, maybe that doesn't give the, the idea of it. It's a 40-year low point. Um, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 says that he was, Moses was 40 years uh, with his father-in-law. As a Shepherd, not even a, uh, he didn't even own the flock himself. It was his father-in-law's flock. In um, I'm sure in in a in a series of uh, in, in a cul-de-sac as a as it were a, a dead end. It seemed to him. I'm probably uh, in a way that that you or I, I don't. Maybe we can identify with that. He, this was a man that was a, a prince of Egypt that was educated in all the arts of the Egyptians. That was knowledgeable. Was was intelligent. Uh, had an amazing life story, as it were, that near miraculous, uh, his, his deliverance as a baby. And yet at the same time, he knew his calling towards his people, right? What happened when he saw that Egyptian oppressing and beating up his fellow Israelite, his fellow Hebrew, was he took matters into his own hands, as it were. And um, I think the previous chapter here, Verse 12, and he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And then the next day, when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to them that did the wrong, that him to, that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. So in what seems like just a, a very um, quick event, a, a, a quick turn of events, Moses goes from this position of, of um, influence, of power, to running for his life. He, uh, I don't know all his thoughts. The, the Bible, in its wisdom, in God's wisdom, the Bible just records events as they are, um, the actions as they were. It doesn't give a whole lot of commentary on the internal th thoughts, but I can imagine that Moses had thought he would be the, deliverable, uh, the, the deliverer, 
had thought that he would be the one that would um, alleviate the situation of his people, either politically or some way or other. And then things just became a disaster. They quickly um, fell apart, as it were, and, and Pharaoh was seeking his life, and then he runs basically for his life and ends up in Midian, in the land of Midian, marries uh, a woman, Zipporah, and now he's a shepherd, 40 years. So at this point, he's out in the desert. I'm sure in those 40 years, he had many times to ponder the folly of his rash actions, of his thoughts of, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to be the deliverer, I'm going to be the one that's going to fix the problem. And God let that happen. God let those 40 years go by. Before God did something singular, something that was out of the ordinary, this burning bush. So Moses is at the, the mountain of God, even Horeb, and he sees this amazing sight. I'm sure burning bushes in and of themselves were not nothing amazing. I'm sure fires happen from time to time. But here was something amazing that this, this bush was burning with a fire and it was not being consumed, was not burning up. And maybe it was just something that Moses looked at it once, didn't remark much on it, and then saw that it, it's still burning. It's, it's not going out. It's not. This was something curious, something that caught his attention. The amazing thing in the passage here in verse 4 that catches my attention says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, are you paying attention this morning? I don't think God forces himself on anyone. I don't think God, um, sometimes maybe he does it when needed, like we would grab the chin of our, our child and tell them, you need to listen to me now. But God woos us more often than not. He is interested in our hearts, as it were. And it's not a matter of coercion, a matter of force with him. It's a matter of calling, a matter of catching our attention, seeing, are we interested? Is there something there that we need to look into? Is there something there that we're missing? Something that, that causes us to pause and think and ponder? I think that's many times how God works. And my friend outside of Christ, maybe that's what he's doing this morning with you. He's calling your attention. You have a choice this morning. You could tune out the message. You could um, you know, think that whatever thoughts you're going to think or just wait for the time to pass. Or you could let your attention be caught and drawn in and let yourself be wooed. That's what God wants. He really desires your love. He doesn't desire just your blind obedience, going to force you into something, put you in a corner, get you to a point where you've got no choice. He wants to woo you because that's the nature of this relationship. It's, it's a free will relationship. It's one of love. And Okay, maybe I'm reading a little bit into this, but I, I see that here in, in this passage where God waited till Moses' attention was drawn and till he was drawn towards that curious sight. And then he calls him by name and says, Moses, Moses. Forty years of silence, and God knows his name. The next thing we see here, 
in this bush. He says, don't come any closer, basically. Draw not nigh hither. Stay where you are and take off your shoes. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. God is holy. He woos us, but we need to realize as he woos us that there is a holy God who is not approachable by you and me as we are. There is a gulf. There's something fixed between us. And we need to be aware of that. If we're never aware of that, we will never get anywhere with God. He will not allow himself to be um, cheapened or to be made light of or to be taken advantage of by someone who has no concept of his holiness, someone who does not acknowledge his greatness and who he is. And to you that oppose God and, and are, your mind is in rebellion to God, that may seem like a, a petty thing. Why would God make that demand? Why do I have to do things that way? Why do I have to acknowledge his holiness? But even that is for your good because his holiness and his perfection is the ultimate reality. You do not clearly see just how sinful you are. You do not clearly see the, the nature of the difference between a perfect, holy, just, righteous God and yourself with all your contradictions and all your deceits. Moses understood that by this point. Forty years had been enough because his reaction when God reveals, he says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look upon God. Moses was aware of his sin. Once he realized who was speaking to him out of the bush, he realized just how undone he was. And that's been the, the reaction of anyone who has come into the presence of a holy and perfect God, is to realize just how sinful they are. That's a place all of us need to be. And we need to be reminded of that on an on a ongoing basis in the sense of God's perfection and my insufficiency without Christ. If it was not for Christ, if it was not for his covering mercy, if it was not for his work, his atoning work on the cross to bring me together, I would be nowhere. I would be nothing. If we forget that, we forget from where, from where we came. And we even tend to minimize when we do sin. We, we excuse it. We, uh, we may explain it away. We may... Uh, describe it as a certain pattern of behavior that's just typical to who I am and but something that does not stand before the a holy God so my friend outside of Christ are you hiding your face today in shame from God because of your sin God wants a relationship with you and as you will see in this story as you read through as you see how God interacts with Moses in an amazing way that I can't comprehend that he would talk to him as with a friend. That's what God wants with you too. Once you acknowledge your sin, once you acknowledge who you are before him, there is an answer, there's a remedy, and there is a relationship that's awaiting for you. So that is all by way of introduction or, or context as we see uh, for this conversation that, that God now has with Moses, this calling out. But what I would like to focus on is 
this verse here, uh, verse 14, where God reveals his name to Moses. So if you remember a lot of the previous accounts in Genesis of God's interaction with the patriarchs, every time he interacted them or with them or, or uh, did something, did a work in their lives, he would often reveal himself uh, with a, a title or with a name. So to Abraham, he first revealed himself as the Almighty God. And then later at the, at, um, the Mount of Sacrifice, where, where he had to offer up his own son Isaac and God provided the, lamb, uh, the ram for the offering, it's, he revealed himself as the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh. He did this with other characters in the, the Old Testament, with Hagar, the God who sees, with, um, with Jacob, Remember when he had that dream at Bethel? It seems like God, in his interactions with, with, with the patriarchs, wanted to reveal different aspects of his character successively, cumulatively, as it were. As he went along, as he dealt with generation after generation, he would reveal maybe another aspect of his character or, em or emphasize that aspect of his character in his workings with that individual. And so this question of Moses asking God, well, who shall I say that has sent me? The fathers had sent me to you and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? I don't think it was a question of just these, these, these Israelites in bondage had no clue who Jehovah God was. I think there was, it was passed down. There were, there were those that were faithful, the midwives in, in Egypt that, that didn't obey the command to kill the firstborn uh, uh, the, obey the command to kill the male babies, they feared God. Um, there were those that feared. I don't think it was that they, they were ignorant of God, but they were questioning, you have a new revelation from God. What is the name he's given you? How has he revealed himself to you? I think maybe that is more the, the, the context of this. I may be wrong, but they may ask specifically, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And then God says, I am that I am. I mean, we, we, uh, we read that, we're familiar with this passage. But if you stop and think about that statement, that's a, that's a startling statement. In some, uh, it's an unfathomable statement in a lot of ways. On the other hand, we can kind of relate to it. You know, when, when we make some excuses for our behavior sometimes, um, we'll just say, well, that's just the way I am, right? No, I'm, that's, I am who I am deal with it kind of thing. In a sense, I think that's God's response here. I am, I am who I am. That, my character is my character. That's who I am. That's who has sent you. I am hath sent me unto you. This is the supreme reality. God is the only being, is the only one in the universe who is self-existent, who exists not because of some other cause. He is the one that has always exist, existed and always will exist. Everything else in our experience has a cause. Everything else, we can see there's cause and effect. Everything. And I think maybe that's part of the reasons that science and philosophy has, a has such a struggle with God. Because science and philosophy is 
involved in the business of, of categorizing things, of, of, of accounting for where everything has come from and, and the reason for everything and, and, and uh, laying it all out in an orderly fashion. But they cannot deal with a being who refuses to give an account for himself, to say where he came from. He is that he is. I am that I am. I am the God without beginning and without ending. Your system of understanding cannot comprehend that. You can't categorize me. You can't put me and scientifically explain me or philosophically explain me. I am that I am. I'm outside of your understanding. And that's why so many people struggle with God on the first basis, on the, on the basis of just understanding. There's, I think there are other moral reasons why they struggle with God, which are also bound up in this. But God simply says, I am that I am. He is the one that has caused everything. He's the one that started everything, and everything flows from him. You know, the alternative, if we, if we reject that, the alternative is that everything just came to be because, because nothing, spontaneous generation. And that itself is a nonsensical idea, too. Nothing comes of nothing, as uh, Shakespeare says somewhere. I am that I am. The totality of his character. But I think the reason that God told Moses this name, says, tell them I am sent you, is because it points to his ability to provide. Because he is outside of everything, because he is the first cause of everything else, he can do all things. He is, he exists, and because of that, he can do, he can provide. Because as this chapter goes on and into the next chapter, all these promises then come out from God. I will do this. I will, I will bring you out with a strong hand. I will uh, stretch out my hand. Um, I will give this people favor in the eyes of the Egyptian. I will do this. I will do that. And it's all on the basis of I am. Because I am, because I exist and don't depend on anyone else or anything else, I can do. And that's the truth he wants to speak in your life, too, this morning. He is. In the person of Jesus Christ, all the I am's of Jesus Christ about being the bread of life and the, the, uh, the light of the world and, and all those I am's, those are all truths that can be spoken into your life and provide for all your needs, too, all the things that you really need. Because Jesus is I am, he will. He will do. He will provide that clarity that you need he will uh, sustain you in a way that you, you desperately need. He will be uh, the source of life for you. He will be the, the guide that will shepherd you and protect you. That is the word that Moses had, delivered, had to deliver to these captive Israelites, and that's the word that God wants to deliver to you today. If you are captive in sin or if you are walking as his child, he is, I am. See, this is the primary difficulty that man has. This is the primary thing that they reject. God's statement of I am. They want to be independent of God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's the, the path they chose uh, when they ate of that fruit. They wanted to be independent of God. It wasn't sufficient for them that God was, I am. They wanted to be on their own. And 
this has been the pattern, this is the pattern of everyday life apart from God. It's a pattern of existence that does not depend on him, but depends on me to determine what's right and wrong, what I'm going to do, my purpose, my interests, my desires. But real life, true life as God designed it, is life that it rests upon God's I am, God's existence, God's desire for me, his character, who he is, that delights in him. And anything that will pull away from that will cloud that, obscure that, God's sufficiency for me, that, that sin, it's uh, a path that departs away from God. The other thing and I see in, in this passage in contrast to, to God's statement of I am is back in verse 11 here, after God instructs Moses, come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Then Moses says unto God, Who am I? That's a legitimate question. I mean, would you have the same response? This amazing God who does something that's unexplainable in front of you and then gives you this impossible task. If you were honest with yourself, you would ask the question, who am I? Who am I to do this, to accomplish this? And God doesn't answer that question. He doesn't go on and tell Moses, well, you are who you are, and, and um, I've been with you, etc. He just says, basically, I am. Certainly, I will be with thee. I am sufficient. It doesn't really matter who you are. And that response is the, is the response we need to hear every time we struggle with that question, as I would uh, divide God's word to you, the question of who am I is answered by God is. God is sufficient. God is, is worthy of all of our efforts. Um, he will provide. He will make up the difference. The question, it's the answer to the question you ask as God asks you to do something difficult, maybe to sacrifice something, and you say, well, Lord, who am I? How can I do this? God is sufficient. He is worthy. That's the, that's the right answer. So that question may be of self-esteem or, or evaluation of myself is properly answered by looking to God. Not looking at myself, not looking at my resources, how I should feel about myself, etc., etc., but looking at God, being lost in him, and losing myself in him. That's not self-effacement uh, in the sense of I, I just disappear, but I become the person that I was meant to be. As I look at God, as I take that word of I am with me, as I trust in that word, I am. The amazing thing here in the, the following verse, that token, he says, and, and he says, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So God says, here's the promise. Here's the promise. Here's the, here's the sign that I've sent you. When you come out after this whole thing, you'll worship me on the same mountain again. Isn't that an interesting sign? 
It wasn't something that he could necessarily take with him at the time. He had to wait for the completion of it. He had to wait. He had to go through Egypt, through the difficulties, had to face Pharaoh the ten times or however many it was, had to experience all the difficulties back and forth with the children of Israel before he saw the completion of that sign. God's effectively asking him to believe, to trust. I think that's often how it is with us, that God promises us a sign, but only as we believe and trust him, only as we follow along with him and he brings it to fruition, then we look back and say, yes, this, this is true, God is true. He was with me, he sent me because I was able to accomplish. It all went through. God is a personal God. That's how he introduces himself to Moses here. He first he says he's holy, but then he says, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. He wants to be known by his relationship with faithful men and women. That's astounding to me. It's, you know, it would be sufficient for God to stand apart from humanity and say, I am that I am, and that's, that's sufficient. But he also links himself in all his perfection and purity and, and holiness to say, yes, I'm the God of Eric. I'm the God of whoever you are. That's, that's humbling. That God would link himself to me, to, to these men. And, and, and we, we know the whole accounts of them. They made their mistakes too. They were, you know, Jacob, he had some pretty nasty episodes, some pretty sneaky things that he did. And yet God said, I'm the God of Jacob. This God that is self-existent, that exists outside of all of us, that is perfect and holy and just, and yet he wants to be known as my God. That is the God that we desperately want to declare to you outside of Christ, to you that don't know his face, to you that are still hiding your own faces in, in shame before a holy and perfect God. To you maybe that are even walking along and ignoring that burning bush, that sign that, that is being held out to you to turn and look at. Once you begin a relationship, once you open yourself to a relationship with this holy and perfect and just God, you will see the depth of his love in Christ Jesus. And then the, the I am's of Jesus Christ will uh, begin to make sense, will pile on, will we'll, uh, we'll will open to you. God desires to reveal himself and his character to you, but he will only do that as you believe him, as you trust him in faith. May the Lord bless this word, add what was lacking. May he open our eyes to uh, the reality that we depend on him, that we do not exist of ourselves. We, we cannot say, I am that I am. Only God can say that. And as we realize that, may that name stick with us forever. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. May the Lord bless his word. We've heard a very poignant message this morning on the sovereign God, the I am 
that I am. And in the Hebrew, they have four letters for that name. YWHW, I believe it is. They have no vowels, but it comes from the root word for to be. He exists. God is. And the uh, Lord Jesus Christ himself, as Brother Eric mentioned, quoted of himself many times. And what brought to my attention was the discourse he had with, with the um, Jews in chapter 8 of John. Now, John was the apostle that lived the longest. He lived close to the turn of the, the second century. And his, he, he, he engaged with a lot of false teachers, heretics, that believed that Jesus Christ didn't come to the earth, that Jesus Christ was not God, the Son. And so he, his main thrust was to prove through Scripture the deity of Jesus Christ, that he'd come from God, that he was not just born, but he existed forever. And that's why he used the term I am so many times, I believe. In chapter 8 of John, he says to the Jews, Then said Jesus unto them, verse 28, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he went through, and they asked him and said, they said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. They trusted in Abraham. He was the father of the Jews. Then they said, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. And then he turns over, we can turn over, at least in my Bible, this last push. They said to Jesus, now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom do you make yourself to be? Jesus answered, if I honour myself, my honour is nothing. It is my Father that honoureth me, of whom ye say, He is your God. Yet ye know, you, you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, then I will be a liar. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Huh? He was dead. 2,000 years before Jesus came to the earth, Abraham was dead. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. 
Abraham met Christ? Was it when the three angels came to visit him? Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not even fifty years old, and thou hast seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, truly, truly. Listen, pay attention. I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And that's when they took up stones and wanted, they, they wanted to kill him. Because he, they knew that he claimed to be God. Through that one saying, before Abraham was, I am. And I really like the way Brother Eric summarized it when he said that God does not have a cause. This has a cause. Somebody made it. This has a cause. Somebody made it. We have a cause. Somebody made us. But nobody made God. He was from everlasting to everlasting God. That's what makes him God. That's what makes him holy, unique. He does not have a cause. And when you don't have a cause, it's very hard for any man to test that. Finally, eventually, in 1985, the scientists, and I mentioned this not long ago, they sent out the, the pioneer, I don't know what the, the, the spacecraft was, to send out to see, was there background radiation? Because if there's background radiation which they can measure, then they realise that the theory that there was nothing is true. Because the way that the, the Earth, the universe was created from a, from a big bang, from nothing. And I'm not going to go into that, I don't understand myself. But they measured it. There was a cause. Somebody created this world. Something happened where we came from nothing, out of nowhere. And it says 70 Nobel Prize winners believe in God. My dear friend outside of Jesus Christ, there is a cause for you being here. There is a reason you are here. There is a purpose you and I are here. We were made. And if you think there's intelligent design, seek who is that intelligent designer? And God will reveal it to you. As I read earlier, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you shall know the truth. You will come to know the truth. Stick to my word. Read my word. Stick to it. And as you continue reading, God will reveal to you the truth. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. May the Lord bless the word. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.